Good morning. I'm going to read from uh, Psalm 19, 7 through 9, and let this be the beginning of my prayer. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Lord, may the words that are proclaimed from your Bible be true. May they be uh, edifying to us. May they be received with the confidence that this psalm writer used. And I pray that it'll be our refuge during the week when we're tried and when we're happy and when we're getting up and when we're going to bed. Forgive us when we come short of thy will. Help us to do better. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My text today will be from Psalm 127. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. And that will be my text for today. It's a psalm that you've heard many times over the past 12 or 13 years. And it is one that I go to quite a bit. But I don't think I ever preached a whole sermon on just it. I'm sure I've referenced it maybe, I don't know how many times, at least a dozen times over the years. And this is kind of a go-to verse, just try to use it for encouragement. But I would like to read this and, and really dive into this today. The psalm, first two verses reads, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his love asleep. And if I had to turn that into a bottom line, what I've told you over the years is, do everything you know to do, and then go to bed. It's simple advice, probably would make a good bumper sticker, but uh, it's advice that would be uh, well to do. I want to know what exactly it means to do everything you know to do. So that's what I'd like to dive into. So if you will, I'm going to look at the first part of the verse and notice what is vain. You know, men can weaponize and strategize, talking about the wars in the Bible. They can immunize and sanitize, talking about our war a couple years ago. But without God, all is vain. But then we go to Psalm 33:16. There is no king saved but by a multitude. A mighty man is not delivered by strength. In other words, if you're counting on yourself, you're counting on the wrong thing. Proverbs 21:31, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is the Lord. Yeah, and when you go into battle, you want a good horse and well-trained and, and fearless, but it's also you need to depend on the Lord. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 3, 7, Not that he that planteth, nor he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. If you're a farmer, you want to be diligent in everything. You want to cultivate your field. You want to plant the seed. You want to make sure you have good seed. You want to water your seed. But ultimately, the increase will be of God. So we lean on him very, very heavily. It doesn't mean we wrap up and don't do anything and expect him to do everything. We do everything we know to do, and then we go to bed. The second part of this passage, verse 2, 
is talking about the rest, and that's something that's very important. Men can settle down, they can calm down, they can lie down, but without God, rest is evasive. It seems like the older I get, the more I toss and turn. I don't hear any amens out there, so maybe I'm unique. Here's Psalm 3.5. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. Ecclesiastes 5.12. Sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. So if you're looking at money to give you rest, ain't going to happen. Good hard day's work is going to do that. And Matthew 11.28 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest comes from the Lord. As I look at this passage, there's two things I want to look at. I want to look at the building, but I also want to look at the rest. In this metaphor, I want to look at it this way. Look at it as if God is the architect. He makes up the blueprints. And he's the owner. He's the one that pays for it. And when it's all done, he's going to own it. So he's the architect and the owner. And what does that leave us to do? We're like the contractor. And I'm going to read some comments here, but basically this is what I want you to get. If you are doing everything you can according to God's plan, his blueprints, you'll have peace. If you're trying to short and circumvent it and go according to your plan, you can work all day long and all night long and toss and turn, and, but you're not going to have rest. So the key is being in harmony with his blueprints. The second thing is, he's got to give you the contract. If he doesn't give you the contract to do the job, you can stay up late, you can get up early, but it's not going to do you any good. You're not going to get any rest. So you need to have both things, and we're going to look at plenty of scripture. We're going to look at men that had the contract and the blueprints. We're going to look at people that had the blueprints but not the contract, people that had the, the contract but not the blueprints. And we're going to see people that are beating themselves coming. And not until God's in the manner, he's got the blueprints and the contract, will you have rest. That's where it comes from. He's the architect. And this applies, now I'm using this building metaphor, but it applies to anything, anything earthly. It could be what is on earth, above earth, beneath the earth, what's physical, what's spiritual, living and non-living. It applies to all that stuff. Anything kind of institution like marriage. If you got marriage and you're doing it according to blueprints, if you're not doing it, you're going to work like crazy, but you're not going to have success in that marriage or family or a nation or education or business or stewardship. It doesn't matter if you're not following his blueprints. You can work as much as you want. You're not going to have rest. And then congregationally, this is true in the Old Testament, the New Testament, according to doctrine, ordinances, officers, worship, and ministries. It doesn't matter. We got to do things according to his blueprints, and it's got to be his contract that he's given us, else we can work all we want, and it's going to come to nothing. Man is the contractor. Let's look at these verses. Isaiah 49 and 6. It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. This man had the contract. Ezekiel 34, 23, I will set up one shepherd over them. He shall feed them, even my servant David. David was the shepherd. In this case, I think this is a metaphor for being a king. He had to have the contract. He had a couple sons that tried to take on the contract, but God never gave him the contract, and there was no peace with them. There was no peace with Israel or them. And then Acts 20, 28, Take heed unto yourselves the flock and the, of which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. See, I see there is the blueprints, and he's given the contract to this particular pastor at Ephesus, and he says, it's mine. 
You're just the contractor and I've given you the contract. If you're doing things according to his will and you're doing everything you can do and it's not meeting your deadlines, work harder. No, go to bed. You're doing everything you know to do. He said, Brother Dolph, you sound like a fatalist. No, a fatalist would just go to bed. You do everything you know to do and then you go to bed. You don't worry about it. If God designed it and charged you to do it, then do not overestimate your contribution to the success or failure of an undertaking. Number two, do not worry over the how, when, and where of God's design. It may not harmonize with your brain. That's okay. God's brain is better than your brain. Do not fret when completion dates passed. As long as your best effort is in harmony with God, go to bed and don't worry about it. Let him worry about the completion date being behind. And my guess is it's right on time with his completion date. It's not meeting your completion date. That's probably what's out of time. There's my introduction. Is it what you thought? I know I've quoted that verse for quite a while. I gotta share something about this rest though. I got a little metaphor here. A preacher friend of mine, I was talking about the sermon I was gonna do this week. And he says, oh, I like that. I'm not a musician, but he said, it's just like a guitar. He says, every once in a while, you gotta loosen the strings of a guitar because if you don't, it's gonna ruin the neck. Well, that's you. You, every once in a while, you need to loosen the strings of your guitar else you're going to ruin your neck. There's rest is really, really important. Brother Richard, I know you're burning the candle at both ends. There's a point where you just do everything you know to do and you go to bed. Because if you don't, you're going to destroy yourself. Let me give you one example. Noah is a man that was told to build the ark. Now, again, this, this building is metaphor, but he was given a project and he was told to build the ark. And God gave him both the blueprints and the contract. And that guy had 100 years to build that ark. Think about a building project that lasts 100 years. Do you think he ever got frustrated? Do you ever think the wood was maybe a little green and was going to need to be dry? It was kind of warping on him? Or just think of all the craziness that went on in a 100-year project. Genesis 6, 14 and 15. It describes the blueprints, and the blueprints that God gave him, it included the materials and the size of the ark and how many rooms and how many stories and how many windows and how many doors, and he had the blueprints to this great big ark. But then in chapter 7 and verse 5, he actually gave Noah the contract and he said, build it. Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And then finally, after the flood came and it was time to get off, we see that there was tremendous rest. But I want to share that as I read that account, it looks like there was rest as he built it, even when people were making fun of him. Think about it that time. He was building an ark and it had never rained before. And he was building an ark and there was no sea anywhere near. He had to get picked on just a little bit, huh? He got picked on a lot of bit, I think. But he still had rest. He was in the God's will. He had the blueprints and he was moving forward and there was peace there. Y'all, that's the only way we'll ever have peace when we're following his blueprints and he's given us the contract. Else it's just futile effort. That's one guy. Let's go look at David for a second. He's a little bit unique. Now, David was a guy and he's a, we've learned a couple weeks ago that he's a man after God's own heart. And he was given the blueprints to build God's temple. But you know what? God never gave him the contract. And guess what? 
he had peace. Okay, let's look at the verses. This is all recorded here. I've got it in Chronicles. In Second Chronicles 22 and verse 8, it's God is telling David, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast shed much blood. Again, David is a, a, a man. He's jealous for God, and he sings for God, and he's always praising God. He was facing Goliath, and he was bragging on God, and he was just jealous that this man was making fun of him. He was always all about God. And he had this kingdom, and he was very wealthy, and, and he was being successful, and, and, and everything was going as well. And he says, Lord, I want to do something for you. I want to build you a temple. And God said, he te- almost like he teased him. God doesn't tease, but it's almost like he teased him. He says, here's the blueprints for the, the house. And David's looking at it, he says, I want to build that for you. And God says, nope, you can't build that for me. So you know what he did? He started stockpiling assets. First Chronicles 28 and 11, God gave Solomon the pattern for the porch, the houses, the chambers, and the parlors. So we know God gave it to David, but notice what he does in 14 through 18. He stockpiled stone and iron and lumber and gold and silver and instruments for the temple. He never got to see the temple, but he went building up assets, stockpiling inventory, and you know what? He had peace. Why? Because he was doing what God commanded. When we force things, it won't work. Here's one. I'm going to look at Solomon twice. I'm going to look at one when he had the contract and he had the blueprints. But then I'm going to look at Solomon when he didn't have the contract, nor did he have the blueprints. The first one is, is when he finally builds God's temple, David gives him the blueprints and he says, here, this is, this is God, the temple for God and this is the way it's supposed to look. And it had all the, 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 the measurements, the cubits, how high and wide and long and all that kind of stuff and the rooms and everything was all laid out in great detail. And then David went and he says, here, here's all the assets. Here's all the lumber you're going to need. Here's all the stones you're going to need. Here's all the money you're going to need to hire people. It's, it's all right there. So Solomon got it delivered to him on a silver platter. In 2 Chronicles 3.1, Solomon built the Lord's house where God appointed. Not only did he give him the blueprints, he told him, here's the land, here's the plot of land, and this is how it's supposed to go and where it's supposed to face and all that kind of detail. It was all laid out. But in 3.3, the things Solomon was instructed included length, breadth, width, height, all that kind of stuff. And then Second Chronicles 5.14, the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God so that the priests could not minister. When God came down and filled that place, it was so magnificent that the ministers in that place couldn't even minister because God had filled it so much. How'd that happen? Because Solomon followed the blueprint and he was the one that was given the command. So he went forward. But I want to look at a time in Solomon's life where he took something on his own and he messed everything up. Did you know he was right on target when he built that house for God? But you know what he did? He went and built a whole other houses. He built a house for himself. He built houses for his wives. He built houses, a summer house, a winter house, a vacation house. He built houses all over the place. God never gave him blueprints for those houses. And God never gave him the contract for those houses. He did that all on his own. That was the beginning of the downfall. And yet we thought it was his women. Let's see what happens with this economic decisions he's going to make. He's going to spend, 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 tax, tax, tax. 
and cause a civil war within the country. Now, he didn't have to do that with God's building because God had given the blueprints and the contract, but with his stuff, he created a mess. He had no peace. 1 Kings 9.15, Solomon's levy built, the levy is a tax, the house of the Lord, the house, his own house, there was a house in Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. 17 through 19, he built houses in Gezer, he built them in Beth Horon, he built them in Baalatha, he built them in Tadmor. He built, wherever there were cities, cities for storage, he built houses there. Where he had a city for chariots, he built houses there. He had cities for his horsemen. And wherever the land that he was in control of, wherever he had to he built houses. That spending program crushed the citizens of that nation. We're going to go to the place, remember when Solomon died and the next guy took over and there was a young guy, and he had to go get some advice? Well, let's go there. In 1 Kings 12.4, Solomon had died, and his son is deciding, what should I do? The people are not very happy right now. And he goes to the old men, and the old men tell him that your father put a grievous yoke on us. And he says, all you have to do is lighten that tax from them, and they'll serve you and follow anywhere you want to go. Why was the tax so high? Because of his building program. But then what happened was, the young guys came along and said, no, lay it on them thicker. Spend some more. And there was a division. That's where Israel and Judah became two different nations. Why? Because he built and he neither had the blueprints nor the contract. Isn't that amazing? Saul was given blueprints but not the contract. Now, this isn't for a building. This is for a sacrifice. Again, we're going with the metaphor. If you will, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. I want to go there and I want to read this for everybody. 1 Samuel 13. Start reading at verse 8. This is Saul. And Saul tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not till Gilgal. So in my mind, I think he's got some of the instructions. There's going to be a sacrifice here. This is when it's going to supposed. This is supposed to how it's going to happen, and this is what's supposed to be offered up. And the people were scattered from him, and Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. The problem was is he had the blueprints, but he was never given the contract. What did the contract for offerings go? To the tribe of Levi. He was not from the tribe of Levi. He was a Benjamite. He was not supposed to be making the offerings. It didn't go well with him, and he didn't have peace. He forced something. And it came to pass that as soon as he made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. You know this speech right there? 
That's one of the me monster speeches. Count how many me, myself, and I are in that speech. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Y'all, if you just would have done the contracts I gave you, you would have had peace. But... Now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So Saul's a man that had the blueprints, but was never given the contract. Go to look at another man, Jephthah. I really like Jephthah. In a lot of ways, I feel sorry for Jephthah. He started life with just a real raw deal. He was the son of a harlot, an illegitimate child. He was treated wrongly by his father. He was treated wrongly by his countrymen. He was treated wrongly by the elders of the church. They chased him out of town. He left town. If you were running from here, Roanoke, Virginia, it would be like going to the upper right-hand corner of Maine. I mean, he went about as far north and as far east as he could go and still be in the United States or still be in Israel. That's where he went. He went to a land of Tob. And then the people came. They were in a pinch. They looked around. They said they needed a man's man. They said, let's get Jephthah. Jephthah, come back. And Jephthah was a, a good man. He praised the Lord. Whenever he went into battle, he asked the Lord, what should I do? He asked for the contract, the blueprint. He'd have a victory, and he'd give God all the glory. But there was this one battle coming up that he was afraid of. And what did he do? He made a deal. He said, Lord, if you give me victory, the next person that comes through this door, I'll put him away. He had the contract, but he didn't have the blueprint. God had nothing to do with that terrible deal he swapped with God. And we know the story. What happened was is his daughter, he only had one child, his only child. Hey, Dad, you won the victory. And he goes, oh, no, me and my big mouth. And he put her away for the rest of her life. She never married. She never had children. And his king, his reign, lasts six short, tumultuous years. It's important to have both. In Judges eleven twenty nine, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over on to Ammon. See, he had the contract. In 1130 and 31, if thou deliver Ammon into my hands, I will offer whatever cometh to me. That was not God's plan. That oath did not come from anywhere but from Jephthah himself. And then verse 35, when he saw his daughter, he rent his clothes and he was brought very low and he was troubled. Y'all, that's not peace. Let's go back to our original text just for a second. If God gives you a calling. It could be as a husband. It could be as a father. It could be anything. If he gives you a calling, he's got a blueprint in his word and he tells you how to do it. And then what happens is he's got to give you the contract. And it may not be right now. It might be later. But when he gives you the contract, you do it. And it's only then you can go forward. I want to tell a story on myself. I'm going back and, and I think if, if I remember right, Lincoln was probably six months, one year ago, something like that. So we're going back over 30 years ago. 
I was up in Michigan and I still was active in sports, even though I was getting more kids and kind of gearing down. But what I did in the wintertime, I played hockey. And in the summertime, I golfed. And that was the way I tried to keep in shape. And at the end of the hockey season, the very last game of the season, I separated my shoulder. I got a real weak shoulder and, 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 and I'm struggling and actually I'm going to some rehab trying to strengthen it and I'm doing that for about a month. That's kind of late March, we're moving into April and now in April. And, and golf season in Michigan is only six months long. The winters are so long and it's so dark that you can't golf with the leaves falling in the fall so you're stopped there you go all the way and it's usually late march before you really golf and you can really do that so we're getting along and 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 i'm working at the bank and there's this great big uh, um, customer we have and he's he, he wants me to go golfing with them and sometimes you do some conducting business while you're golfing and we went out there and i hadn't played for six months and i was recovering from a separated shoulder and I played the best round of my life. Osby and Brenda, you can know what I'm talking about. You know why? Because I wasn't trying to squeeze all the juice out of the handle and knock it, knock it forever. I was just swinging nice and easy. Just, and I still remember, I was flirting with par. And, and, and to do that after not playing for six months was just incredible. And the man that invited me there, that we were doing the business, says, hey, you know, we've had a good time. I'd like to do the, You want to come to dinner with us? And I said, no, I can't. I got a doctor's appointment. And he says, why? What's wrong? He says, I'm having therapy on my shoulder because I separated it. He went crazy because I clobbered him. But my point is, the reason why I golf so well is I wasn't trying to kill it. A month or two goes by, and guess what? I start squeezing all the juice out of the handle, and I try hitting it as far as I can, because I lose 50% accuracy, but to get 10 more yards, it seemed like it was worth it. How dumb can I be? That's the way it is in life. Isn't, isn't that the way we are? We look, and, and, and God wants us just to take those nice, easy swings, just, just stay in his harmony with him. Yeah, we want to do stuff with all our might, but we want to do things in his will. And we do all we know to do. We, all, we, we do as best we can. We give it our absolute best effort, but then go to bed, relax. That's where God wants us to operate. So let's go back to our text. That will be in Psalm 127. Psalm 127. And as we read those, yeah, we, we, we want to think of the men we looked at. We want to think of Noah and David and Solomon and Saul and Jephthah. We want to look at those guys. But ultimately, we want to look at ourselves in different areas of our life. At school where I teach, they have a chapel service nearly every Tuesday. I've been blessed and I've had, actually I've, I've, had, I've done one chapel service every month all year long. And I think March 19th is the one I'm supposed to do next is going to be my last one because there's some stuff going on at the year end in April and May that I don't think there's going to be any more chapel services. They've got other programs and graduations and all that stuff going on. But the last one is March 19th. And I've got some seniors that are, are, are my students. And I asked them, I, I asked them, I said, I got one more crack at you. What do you want to hear? This is what they want to hear. I've got kids, kids students that are seniors 
that are still worried about what college they're going to. And they're tossing and turning, oh, I haven't heard back from this school. I really want to go to this school. And this is, th- these are the kind of stresses that they have. And I'm telling them, did you write the best thing you knew how to do? Did you, did, you, did you complete it? Did you get it on time? Well, turn it in and go to bed. And God will put you where he wants to put you. Don't worry about it. That's just one example. I'm sharing this because when I deliver this message on March 19th, they said they want to hear this. They want to know how much we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to let go and let God. I want to read this, but it's for my seniors, but it's also for these kings and men we just looked at, judges, but it's also for us. Except the Lord build the house. Wait a second, I thought I'm supposed to build it. Well, in other words, he's commissioning it, he's funding it, it's going to be his when it's done, and he's done the architecture, he's drawn up the blueprints. He's building it. They labor in vain that build it. We are the contractors. God is the architect and he's the funder and the owner. We are simply contracted to do his thing. We are like a steward for that period of time. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Again, think about an old time city back a couple thousand years ago where they had the big wall around the city. He didn't say don't ever go up on the rooftop or on the circle. He didn't say, don't ever do that. And when it's your job and you have the lookout, stay awake, don't go to sleep. But what he's telling you is if you are relying on your perception and your perception alone, you're gonna get overrun. That's what he's saying. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Close the gates at night bolster them up, put the guards up on top, sound the alarm if enemy approaches, but you've got to be relying on the Lord. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. That's the shoulda, woulda, coulda game. Don't play the shoulda, woulda, coulda game. If you've got a, a child that's being rebellious, do everything you know to do. And if you got a conscience, if there's things that you're supposed to do and you didn't do it, yeah, feel guilty. Confess to God, ask for forgiveness, and then move on. But if you've done everything you know to do, go to bed. Don't spend extra time working on it. Don't get up early and work on it. Don't stay up really late and working on it. Go to bed. And the line I always tell you is if you're tossing and turning around all night, you haven't gone to bed. Easier said than done, right, brother? For so he giveth his beloved sleep. The bottom line, do all you know to do and go to bed. Good verse. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on the bathroom mirror. Maybe on the dashboard of your car. Do all that you know to do and go to bed. I don't care if you're trying to dig out of finances. I don't care if you're trying to get a job. I don't try if you're looking for a spouse. I don't care if you're trying to get a degree. You're trying to get a job. I don't care if you're trying to raise a rebellious teen. I don't care if you're trying to heal a marriage. Do all that you know to do and go to bed. Because if you don't go to bed, you'll be too stressed out and you won't be worth anything anyway. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.